Well, hey, it's a privilege being here. Um, I'm excited about what the Lord has for us this morning. Um, let me pray one more time, and then we'll get we'll get rolling this morning. God, we thank you. We thank you for your kindness and mercy to us, which is new every morning. God, I thank you for something, um, for averting a trip to the ER this morning. Uh, that's a gift from you. God, I thank you for letting us want to go home last night. God, we just we ask your special blessing upon her, even now, King Jesus, your presence, your healing presence and comfort. God, we pray for we pray for Keith, God, as he's looking at a heart cath tomorrow. Lord, I just pray that you would be with him in a powerful way. And Lord, we need your presence this morning too. You are here, Lord, and we want we want to sense your presence. Um, in its fullness this morning. You have something, God, to say to us. So speak, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 28. You said, Pastor, I thought you finished the book of Matthew. Took you long enough. And um, But uh, this, is, this passage is so important because it is God's mission to us. And so... We, uh, last week I introduced the, what we call the Cottondale Catechism. And we talked about how a catechism is a question and answer, a set of questions and answers that are meant to be memorized as a teaching tool, um, that has historically been used throughout the life of the church. And, um, and so what I want to do, and if you missed that, let me encourage you, let me strongly encourage you, because this is, I really want this to be very central to the life of our church. And so if you missed last week, please go online uh, on our Facebook page or our YouTube channel. And you can watch last week's message when we talked about whose we are. So whose are we? We are Christ's. And that makes all the difference. So if the first question in our catechism is whose are we? We are Christ. The second question in our catechism is what do we do? Okay, so I'm going to be very, it's going to be very simple, it's going to be very succinct, but if we say it enough, it's going to start getting into our hearts, getting into our minds, and begin informing our identity, okay? That's why I want you to go back and listen to it if you missed it, because when we say we are Christ, I don't want you just to repeat three words. I want you to think about the riches of what it means to belong to Jesus when you say we are Christ. And this morning, when we think about what do we do, I want you to listen to this sermon, and and we we want to hear from God this morning, so that when we say that we make disciples, that that's more than just three words, but it begins to frame the core identity of who we are and everything that we do. When we wake up in the morning, we need to think, Lord, I know I'm going to work today, I know I'm doing this today, but my mission is to make disciples, Because it's what we do because of who we are. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. What do we do? And the answer is very simple. We make disciples. What do we do? We make disciples. What do we do? We make disciples. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. If you have a Bible and you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. 
says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Word of God. You may be seated. Okay. So we've talked about whose we are, and hopefully we have something of a sense of whose we are. I liked, uh, as I mentioned last week, I, I thought about calling it who we are, but then I realized that in Christianity, it doesn't really matter who we are, it matters whose we are. Because our identity, our identity as Christians is bound up not in who we are, but whose we are. And as Christians, this is so important to Christianity. As Christians, we first are something before we do something. That's hugely important. That's what makes it different than every other religion. Every other religion says, do, 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 so that you can become. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You follow, you turn to Christ. Christ gives you his spirit. He makes you new and then you start doing. It's totally different. Christianity is not first about what we do, it's about what God has done. And now that we are Christians, if you are Christian, and now that we belong to Jesus Christ because we are his, we then have all the resources of Christ at our disposal to accomplish the mission that he has given to us. Have you ever been in a job and the boss asked you to do something and you haven't been trained, you didn't know what you're supposed to do, you didn't have the resources you needed to do it? It's very frustrating. Jesus ain't like that. Jesus has given us a mission, but he's also given us everything at his disposal to accomplish the mission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So we know whose we are, but what are we supposed to be doing? Why did God, why did God save us, right? And that's a hugely important, that's a hugely important question, right? As I always say, for some reason, we just, we don't like to sit, we don't like to take time to think about the most important questions in life. Like, who are we and why are we even here? Because, and that's a tragedy because most people will end up spending their entire lives doing things that don't really matter. Don't you want to know why we're here? Don't you want to know why God made us? Don't you want to know why God saved us? And so the simple answer to that question is right here in this passage. What do we do? We make disciples. We exist to make disciples so that Jesus can get the glory that he deserves and so that the whole world might know the forgiveness and the joy that is only found in Jesus Christ. Remember last week we talked about the most famous catechism question, Westminster Shorter Catechism question one. What is the chief end of man? Why does man exist? What's the purpose of man? Uh, The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We exist to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I would say we do that through making disciples. We do that through making disciples. When we make disciples, we tell, we go out and tell people who Jesus is. We tell them that he is the satisfaction, the meeting of every single one of their needs. We tell them that you are made for Jesus. And we tell them that there is no life greater than the life that can be lived in obedience and pursuit of Jesus Christ. 
And so my question today is, uh, so the first question I want to think about is this. How do we know that the business we exist for is to make disciples? How do we know that? And the answer is very simple from Matthew chapter 28. And that is that we are commanded to make disciples. You don't have to wonder what God wants us to do. Right? Some people, sometimes we say, some people say, you know, well, I'm seeking God's will. And I know what people mean by that. But you think the most important things in life, you don't have to wonder. Because God's already told you. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Make disciples. Teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. We have, we are commanded to make disciples. Now think about it. The Great Commission comes at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. Right? So now, now why, 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 why would he do that? The Gospel is about Jesus, right? And clearly Matthew wrote the Gospel because he wanted people to know who Jesus was, know what he experienced, what he saw as a follower of Jesus. And he want, but he didn't just, he didn't just do that for your information, right? He wrote it down so that what? So that you would hopefully come to know Jesus as he did. So that you would know that Jesus was more than just an ordinary person, but a person, a, 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 the God man who is worthy of all obedience and allegiance and faith. And he closes, the very last thing in his book, he closes with the Great Commission. And I think it's just, it's, it's just perfect. It's clear and obvious that the reason he did that is he is saying that if he is essentially saying, if you believe everything that I have written in this book up until this point, the logical implication of, of faith in everything I've written up to this point is going to be, I got to tell others about this. Right? Because that's what Matthew did. If you saw what Matthew saw, think about everything we've talked about the past two years. If you saw what Matthew saw, you would think, other people got to know about this. They got to know who this man Jesus is and what he did. What he accomplished in the world for God to forgive sins and to save souls and to change the world. People got to know this. And so it's clear that at the end of the book, Matthew is thinking that the necessary implication of everything that I've written up to this point is that we got to go tell people about it. And not just that, but that's what Jesus said we need to do. We wrap up our stories with the most important implications of what we were trying to say. And Matthew, by giving the Great Commission, by recording it as the last part of his book, what Matthew is trying to say is that this may be the end of the book of Matthew, but Jesus' story isn't over. In fact, really, it's just beginning. Right? Jesus is passing on the mantle of his earthly ministry to his disciples. And he wanted us to know that Jesus' story isn't over, right? And that's, so like in the book of Acts, right? Jesus, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus ascends into heaven before their eyes. What does that mean? It doesn't mean Jesus' story is over. It means, uh, it means, like I said, it means it's just beginning. Jesus is alive right now. He's at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. The, uh, the Bible says that he will reign from heaven until every enemy is put under his feet. And then he will return to receive his kingdom. 
So the story is not over. We are part of the story that Matthew started, that Matthew wrote. Jesus passing on the mantle. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus right now. And it is in that authority that Jesus commands us to go make disciples. And note, and this is important, this, it's a command. And as I said, I've been convicted about this. And conviction isn't a bad thing. As, as Dusty mentioned, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. The conviction, don't be afraid of conviction. Conviction is the Holy Spirit's way of saying, I love you, something needs to change. You ever, you ever, you ever have somebody in your life that you love and you just want to look at them and say, I love you, something needs to change. Right? God sometimes looks at us and says, hey, I love you, something needs to change. And that's what conviction is. To be, to not make, and I think we have to just face the fact and just feel the weight of it and just let it hurt. To not make disciples is to be disobedient to Jesus. Most of us aren't out there lying, stealing, cheating, and killing, but the truth is, is deep down we all know that those are, those are, those are uh, unacceptable sins, but the truth is, is within the church we have, we have these unspoken acceptable sins. And one of them is neglecting the Great Commission, what God has called us to do. And so the question we need to ask ourselves in light of the Great Commission is, what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? Can I make disciples? Yes, you can. You can make disciples. You can tell people about Jesus. You can tell people what Jesus has done for you. It's not, again, I, I love the gospel because uh, we've been going through, we've been going through, uh, first Corinthians on, on prayer meeting. Please come to prayer meeting. I'm just going to keep saying it. Please come. And, 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 um, we've been going through prayer meeting and, uh, the apostle Paul is just talking about how like, <laughs> he tells the Corinthians, he says, <laughs> he says, by the way, not many of you were wise when God called you. <laughs> how, how you like that? <laughs> His point is that God calls, likes to call the lowly people around. And he wrote that to the Corinthians and he says, hey, lay, look, y'all, y'all weren't, y'all weren't the, uh, y'all weren't the brightest bulbs in the box. But hey, isn't that the point? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to be a Christian. You don't have to be the best, the brightest, or the smartest. That's why, again, that's why Jesus said, hey, look, hey, look, it's not rocket science. You follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. But we gotta follow. Right? Jesus, what are we gonna do about it? We have to do something about this. There's no, and that's the thing, like, you know, it's one of those things that's like, we don't do it because we're not intentional about it. But once you're intentional about it, there's, there's, there's no greater joy than when you know you're walking in obedience to Christ. There's no greater joy than when you know that God is using you to make an eternal difference in, in someone else's life. When you tell, when you just, when you just do something as simple as just say, hey, hey, look, I, I'm a Christian. Jesus has made such a big difference in my life. He came and forgave me of my sins. You know, and you just, and you just, and you just love them and you just tell them and they, they might think you're crazy, but look, it doesn't matter. You never know what God's going to do in somebody's life. And you just love them and you tell them and people see that and they know that and God works through his word and by his spirit. 
And so, and so, so like, I think if we're honest, the struggle, my struggle is that we just get caught up in like our own little world and we just kind of get like just our own little kingdom and just kind of get self-absorbed and we just, we miss, we miss all the people around us every day that have a real need of Christ. And you know, and, and so, and so it's a struggle, right? We, it's one thing to minister to needs, and we should minister to needs, and this church ministers to a lot of needs, but we can never forget that the greatest need people have is the need for Jesus. And so we can love them all the way to hell if we don't tell them about Jesus. But you know what? The Bible, Jesus said, hey, hey, you know, look up from your world, look up from, look up from the things that just consume your, your mind and your thoughts. Look up and see. The fields are white. They're there. You just gotta look. They're white for harvest. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. And that's what we need to do. So we make disciples, number one, because we're commanded to make disciples. We are commanded to make disciples. Number two thing that I want to talk about disciple making is that we love by making disciples. We love by making disciples. I'll have it up on the screen here. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we know we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, the message Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So the second reason we make disciples as Christians is that the love of Christ controls us. We love by making disciples. That word, the, the love of Christ controls us. I think at one point, there was a translation that said the love of Christ compels us. I don't know if it was the ESV, but it, it, it changed to controls us. And I think, I think that's because the, the translators thought that that was a better translation because the word is a very strong word. It can be used to describe the pressure put on a city that's surrounded by a besieging army. It can be used to describe how a prisoner is controlled by his captors. It can be used to describe a narrowing strait of water that forces a, sh- forces a ship into a narrow channel. That's the word Paul uses. 
And he says the love of Christ controls us. It compels us. It, 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 it squeeze, the love of Christ squeezes us, puts pressure, exerts pressure on us in every side to go in a certain direction. That's what he's saying. The love of Christ controls us. God's love exerts pressure on every side of our hearts, directing us and molding us and guiding us and compelling us to share Christ with others. We make disciples because we are compelled by the love of Christ. Jesus died for us. The Bible says that God so loved the world, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There is no greater love, Jesus says, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. God has shown his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At the right time, Paul says, Christ died for the ungodly. That was us. And if God has shown that kind of love for us, how can, how can we not show that same love to other people? If we, if we have found the solution to life's greatest problem, how sick would we have to be to keep it to ourselves? If, if we and all of our friends were starving and we found a hoard of food, would we just keep it to ourselves? That's what we do. We've got the bread of life and we just keep it inside these two doors. We make disciples because we're compelled by the love of Christ. We love our neighbors. And so we want them to know what Jesus has done for them. Paul says that once we regarded people according to the flesh, but we regard them according to the flesh no longer. Once, now, once we belong to Jesus, we should see people differently. Right? The people in, again, the book of Matthew, right? The, the problem with the Jews is that they couldn't see, they couldn't see who Jesus really was. They just saw a, a man, a religious teacher, who's messing up all their plans. Right? But Paul's, and that's how Paul, that's how Paul thought about Jesus. But he said, I, we regarded him according to the flesh, but Paul says, but not anymore. And in the same way, we regard other, we don't guard, we don't regard anyone according to the flesh anymore. We don't look at the people in the same way. We see people through the lens of Christ. Cause naturally speaking, we just tend to, we just tend to make, you know, just immediate judgments based off of how they look, what they wear, the color of their skin, what, you know, what language they speak or how they talk or how they carry themselves. And we make these judgments in our mind. But as Christians, we recognize what? We recognize that all those things that we tend to make judgments about, (laughs) they don't matter. They don't matter in the light of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's what Jesus did, right? Jesus came, Jesus came, and he looked at the people in his day, that everyone else thought didn't matter. Or, or, or worse, were the, were the scum of the earth. Tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, lepers. But Jesus didn't regard them according to the flesh. 
And it was they, Jesus said, who, go, who entered the kingdom of God before the others. So we don't, we don't, we don't judge things according to the flesh. We, we let the love of Christ compel us. We see people through the lens of Christ, and that is that every person is an image bearer of God. Every person was made to know God. Every person's greatest joy is going to be found in living for the one they were made for. Jesus Christ is worthy of the praise and adoration and allegiance of every person that you see. So the greatest way we can love Jesus and the greatest way we can love others is by pointing them to Jesus Christ. Because that's the most, that's the most important thing and it really that's the only thing that really matters. And notice too here, is that this is not, this is not a sheer effort of the will. Paul says that in Christ, we are new creations. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. We are indwelt by the Spirit. All this is from God, Paul says, and that He has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. God has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. So that's our mission. You know what? God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ, but don't never forget, God uses means to accomplish his ends. And God's chosen means to reconcile the world to himself is Christ, and then through Christ, us. Because we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So that, so that through us, we can actually become agents of God to be participants in His saving work in the world. And then Paul says something amazing. He says, He says, God making His appeal through us. And that's it. That's it. When you tell somebody about Jesus, I want you to think about this. When you tell someone about Jesus, a literal miracle is taking place. You understand that? What did Paul say? Paul said, God making his appeal through us. When you tell someone about Jesus, literally God is speaking through you. That's what it says. That's what the text says. God is speaking. When you act as a minister of reconciliation and you plead with people to be reconciled to God, through Jesus Christ, God is speaking through you. God, that, that passage that, where God literally, God literally tells us, hey, come, buy, eat, come to the waters. God said that. When you say, when you tell someone, come to Jesus, God is saying that to that person. He is saying, come, eat, buy, you who have no water, come buy and eat, don't work for things that don't matter. When you tell someone that, that is, that is the same as God making his appeal to them through you. We literally become mouthpieces of God when we preach the gospel. God himself is speaking, appealing to that person to come to them. And so what, so the, the challenge and the call for us here is this. We need to let the love of Christ control us. We need a love of Christ control us. We need to think and dwell on and meditate what Christ has done for us. We need to meditate and think about what's going to happen to our friends and neighbors and loved ones who don't know Jesus until the love of Christ 
makes it impossible for us to keep our mouth shut. To control us to make disciples for Christ, for our King, to be his mouthpieces. We can, lo- we can and should love people every way we can, but we haven't loved people till we told them about Jesus. So let the love of Christ control us. So we, we're commanded to make disciples. We love by making disciples. And finally, number three, we were made to make disciples. We were made to make disciples. I'm going to read from Genesis 1, verse 25 and following. It should be up on the screen there. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds. And everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You say, Pastor, what in the world does that have to do with making disciples? I'm about to tell you. God made humanity and he created man in his image. Now, I want you to think about that. In the ancient times, you read, you know, you read the, you read the Bible. In the ancient times, people would make images to represent deity, right? And that was called idolatry. God commanded his people not to make images, even of him, right? Remember the golden calf? They, they didn't, they, they weren't worshiping another God through the calf. They were trying to worship the one true God through the calf. So they were trying to worship the right God in the wrong way. That's another sermon for another day. But God commanded them not to make any images of himself, even of him. And at least one reason he commanded them to do that is because God had already made an image of himself. People. People. And when God told his image bearers, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What is he saying? He's saying, I want you to go take my image, my glory, my picture, and fill the world with it. Because this world is about me. And you are about me because I made you to look like me. So the, the, the command to be fruitful and multiply is the command to glorify God by filling the world with his image. Now, of course, humanity didn't do that job very well. I said this before, but it's just worth, it's just, it's just worth not forgetting, right? God literally said, God literally said, hey, here's the earth. Rule it for me. Doesn't sound like a bad gig. And we said, no. Sin ruined everything. And far from spreading God's perfect image throughout the world, 
what ends up being spread now is a more distorted, sinful image in the world, which is why we got all the problems that we do. But through Jesus Christ, something remarkable happens. Paul in Colossians 1.15 says this. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean? It means Jesus is what we were supposed to be and failed to be. But, but, something remarkable has happened in Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So Jesus is the perfect image of God. He is who we were supposed to be, but failed to be. But the Bible says that through faith in Christ, through the regenerating and renewing and sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit, we are being reshaped into the image of God. Like we were made to be all along. But then what does that mean? And this is my point. What does that mean then about the command to be fruitful and multiply? Because the command to be fruitful and multiply was meant to do what? To spread God's image over all the world. Well, that means, I believe, that in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, the command to be fruitful and multiplied is fulfilled in the Great Commission. When you make disciples, not just have babies, when you make disciples... What, what does the Bible say when a person becomes a Christian? They are born again into the family of God, remade into the image of God. When you share the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Spirit takes the words that are coming out of your mouth and smites the heart of the hearer so that they see Jesus when they couldn't see him before and they are saved, they are born again by the Spirit of God, remade into the image of God. A disciple has made, the great commission is being fulfilled and God's image is spreading throughout the world. The command to be fruitful and multiply is fulfilled in the command to make disciples. Because when we make disciples and tell people about Jesus and people get born again, we are multiplying and spreading the image and the glory of God over all the earth like we were made to do in the first place. We were made not merely to bear earthly children, but to bear heavenly ones. Which is why the greatest thing you can do for your kids and your grandkids is to tell them about Jesus. Once we bear the restored image of God, we can get back to fulfilling the purpose for which we were made. We proclaim Christ, the Spirit gives birth, and there a child as God is born. And Jesus said, remember what Jesus said. This is the whole point, right? Jesus said, the gospel will be proclaimed as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That's the mission. That's the mission. That's the goal. That's the, go- that's the, that's the thing. When, when that job is done, we've fulfilled our purpose. And Christ is coming back to bring in his kingdom. We were made for this. 
we were, we were made for this. We were made to make disciples. We were made to spread God's image over the world. And we do that by the Spirit when we proclaim Christ. So we were commanded to make disciples. We love by making disciples. We were made to make disciples. So, the, so what do we do? We need to make disciples. That's what we need to do. And we're going to be talking a lot more about this. But I'm just going to say it one more time. Discipleship groups, y'all. It's the best tool. It's the best tool that we got. Because you grow. You can invite people to Jesus. You can do things together as a group, like go out and tell people about Jesus. And you can have some encouragement and some accountability, which we all need. And, and, and so we're not doing things alone by ourselves, but we can team up together and serve Jesus and watch Jesus do his thing when we tell people about him. Whose are we? We are Christ. What do we do? We were made for this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to do what we were made to do. Lord, there's, there's nothing. There's nothing, Lord, that, like being a, a tool in your hand, being your mouthpiece. God, to have you speak for us, through us. So, Lord, help us on this mission. Help us as a church, Lord. Help us to get... Help us to get serious, God. Help us to love our neighbors. Help me, God. Help us all to love enough to tell them about you. Lord, you have, you have people out there that you're going to save. You have people out there that you're going to save that you're going to use us to do it. We want to be there. God, we want to be there when your spirit moves. In someone else's heart. When your spirit moves in our child's heart, in our grandchild's heart, God, we want to be there. We want to be your mouthpiece. We want to be part of what you're doing in the world. We want to do what you made us to do. So God, help us to do it. And Lord Jesus, as we uh, close this morning, I just pray, Lord, maybe there's somebody listening Right now, in person, online, God, who deep down in their heart, they don't truly belong to you. Lord Jesus, I pray that your spirit would move. I pray, God, that they would see you by, by the power of your spirit in a way that they've never seen you before. That you are alive. That you are king. That you have died for their sins. That you're coming back one day. That we were made for you. And I pray that this morning, Lord, you would stir their hearts to trust in you with all that they are. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.